Good morning. Welcome to Leather and Limits, episode 21, Styles of Power Exchange, part two. It is Sunday, May the 21st. Here again with me, as always, is the Imperatrix Knox. Thank God. <laughs> I, I'm here to keep you in check. Isn't that crazy? Somebody's got to bring class to the table because I ain't going to try. Aww. Yeah, Woody made the joke, but it's not wrong. It's not because I can't bring class to the table. I just don't want to. I'm at a point in my life where I just don't want to be bothered. Not going to lie. I can shimmy up when I need to, but if I don't have to, I ain't going <laughs> to. Yeah, I prefer to be that the classy bitch, not just the obnoxious one. That's my life goal. I'm, 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 Salty, I'm okay classy, that. I'll take what I can get. I mean, Salty and classy. I mean, that's fair. Oh. I mean, I can when I want to. <laughs> I just have to be willing to put the effort forward. Let's be honest, that doesn't always happen. Anyway. <laughs> so we left off our last episode covering. We did, you know, as we were as we were talking about, we had have covered cucks, cuckolding, cuckolding, um, bowls, etc. We had covered tops and bottoms, doms and subs, technically masters and slaves to some extent. Um and more importantly, the the oddballs, as it were, that not everybody recognizes, because while they're power exchanges, they're not implicitly BDSM, like burden hand and female-led relationships. And, and I'm so glad we did cover those, because those are such a rare, not because they're rare in the wild, it's because you don't hear about them anywhere. You don't. It's, it's not something that's very, if you don't move in femdom circles, you're not going to hear about that stuff, to, to put it bluntly. It's, it's. I don't mean you not hear about it, but you won't you won't get an appreciation for it because there's still a huge equation of that to the porn industry and the sex worker aspect of things. Yes. So there is until you actually get to meet uh, women and and others that practice those those styles of relationships, you're just not going to be exposed to it. You're just going to think what you're seeing is MS, and that's fine. I mean, honestly, until you get to know somebody, you don't need to know the the ins and outs of it, but definitely something interesting that that happens even within the kink sphere yes well i think it's important because we talk all the time about bdsm is such a tiny microcosm of the kink community in terms of actual raw bodies and not enough people realize that like people come to kink and they're you know top and bottom is pretty universal because if you've seen you have some part of that Mm -hmm. but beyond the scope of that anything that is lifestyle effectively more than the length of a scene yeah. It's such a tiny percentage of the overall kinkster population. Not that you can tell because sure. they're noisier than fuck, but, you know, like one out of ten people is actively practicing BDSM and not just kink. And there's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with that. Like, as we've said thousands of times, your journey is your journey and there's nothing wrong with any of that. It's all valid. As a matter of fact, well, we are actually going to cover <laughs> that, too. I, I was going to say that was definitely on my list. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I'm good with diving into that one because it's absolutely we, since we have covered MS and the other ones. I think that's we can dive into that one. Oh, that's, absolutely, that's a good one. So, yeah. in, the, in the interacting with the audience, um, somebody had asked about domo subs in a house, um, the major domos and that type of structure. And I would like to start off that conversation with the fact that not much like polyamory, not everybody has a hierarchical way of of organizing yes. people in their life um, important yes <laughs> and it's and it's important to know that because there's a lot of times when people talk about leather houses or even just you know bdsm households and things like that they automatically believe that 
it's either harem style or it's a structured hierarchical kind of a thing. And I totally said that wrong and I'm sorry, but hierarchical. That's okay. If um, anyone understands butchering the English language, I do. <laughs> I strive to be better. So, um, and so I want to make that clear because it doesn't, just because somebody doesn't use these titles or honorifics, whatever, in their household doesn't mean that they're doing it wrong. Um, it's just another way of doing it because some of us, myself included, like to have hierarchy. Um, I'll talk about this specifically because I do this. I actively do this. My slave vixen is our major demo. Um, and I say that in the purest sense of the word because we do practice not only hierarchical polyamory, but we practice hierarchical leather household. Right. And so the way that that works for us as an example, and again, doesn't mean that this is the only way to do it. It's just a situation we've found works for us. Um, my husband Viking and I are both dominants. No, that doesn't mean that I am actually his submissive in hiding. Um, cause I get, I so couldn't see that. I'm not going to lie. After having gotten to know either of you, I don't see that working That's out anyway, just knowing you two. <laughs> Once somebody meets us, they're like, wow, anybody thought that they're psycho, but yeah, exactly. I, I still get that bullshit a lot. Um, I was a sub at one time, just not currently. So I guess right. I, I might sub if you pay me. I don't know. That's weird. Um, but bottom sub, so the, so the, relative. Right. So the, the way that it works for us is if you were looking at an organizational chart, um, Viking and I are on the same level, like line supervision. Right. And coming directly below from us, we both oversee Vixen. And any other submissive that comes into either one of our lives or bottoms for that matter, in a sense, report to her. When they are in our home and they are serving us or they're in the home serving you know, during an event, something like that. Vixen runs point for us because I don't want to. I have shit to do. <laughs> I'm running an event. I'm Valid. running a dinner, things like that. And so what ends up happening is Vixen takes point in not only helping train that person of what my expectations are. Because, again, Viking and I do have submissive separate from Vixen and separate from each other. Um, right. And Vixen also has her own submissives and play partners. So when I say we practice hierarchical, like I mean it in a true you. sense. Yeah, it is the power of poly. It is. Um, though. So, so what'll happen is I typically have subs that will come into the home more often than Viking does, and so they get a crash course when they come into the house for me. Of here's where to put your shoes. Here's where you can put your shit. Here's where you're sleeping for the night. You know, here's decorum. How I expect you to dress in my home. Blah blah blah. Right. And then I, and I literally tell them for other things, you're going to see Vixen is going to be your go-to helper. Yeah. You can still ask me questions because I encourage that, especially the first couple of times that they're in my actual vanilla setting, so to speak. But they know that the task oriented type questions needs to go to her example, making my coffee. It's the first ritual any submissive learns in my house. Now that y'all have heard my love of coffee, you know why. So <laughs> yeah. every submissive that comes into my home automatically learns from her how to prepare right. our coffee, how to use the coffee machine, because there's a learning curve with that motherfucker. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, because we shelled out for a nice coffee machine. So it's not just you drip coffee, add milk. Like it's, you have to build a coffee. An actual and so, quality coffee machine. Mm -hmm. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. It's an art form. Well, especially since I don't have to use it. <laughs> there you um, go. But... But so 
they they learn like when you wake up in the morning, you know, the the goal is you should be awake before I am, which typically is not a hard thing because I like to sleep in. So, mm. but you have to come out, learn how to make the coffee and Vixen stands there with them through the step of the way, just like you would a line supervisor. And she shows them how to do that. And then she'll make sure that it's like, she can't taste test it, obviously, because she's allergic to caffeine, but she'll look at the color of the coffee and all that and realize, okay, it's correct. Now you can go present it to her. And she'll also show them how to properly present a mug. So the cool part about all of that is as a dominant, I'm not having to deal with the micromanaging minutia of literally everything before I'm even properly caffeinated. But I can literally look at Vixen and say, hey, we have a new sub entering the house tomorrow. They don't know jack shit about anything. They're terrified. Be kind. Be thorough. I expect my coffee by this time. And if they end up waking up later than that, give them the grace. It's their first day. We'll address that later. And then we'll move through the day and the activities that you know, I already have pre-planned of what we're going to do. And the thing about having a major domo is it doesn't mean aside from those interactions, that that person is now in charge of their actual kink journey because they're not. A lot of times major domos will help with certain aspects of the kink journey, especially if there's specific leather protocols to a house. Right. But they're not steering the ship. It's still the dominance. Right. And they're still answering to the dominance. So what will happen periodically through the day is I'll get progress reports um, from Vixen. Hey, here's how so-and-so's doing. Here's something that I noticed that they're struggling with that they may not be understanding. And, and she'll be candid. I don't know how to explain this to make them get it. I don't think I'm doing it right. Now, and then I get to reassure her, you figured it out. You know you're doing it right. Quit overthinking it. You know, luckily, she's naturally wanting to be helpful and fellow submissive, so it works out really well. Um, but that's that's how we structure it. And as you go, kind of as the relationships evolve, whatever, um, you know, some of these people end up serving in the house regularly for a year or so at a time. Um, other times, you know, it may be just a fun weekend, whatever it's casual. And so it, it can be really, you usually spot it pretty quick as the dominant because you start noticing that shit's breaking down. But at the end of the day, the major domos are there to make the dominant's life easier also. But yes. also to keep the house running smoothly. So anytime that that stops happening, you know that you've got a problem you need to address with your house manager. So it's it's actually, I am very, very fond of this type of hierarchy, especially for events. Um, because when you're running events, um, you know, and, and again, using myself as an example, when I'm running an event, not only am I having to cultivate the menu, make the house ready, do all that stuff. I have to get myself ready, which if you ever watched a woman in kink get dressed for any kind of kink event, fuck is it taxing. Um, it's like getting dressed for a Met Gala. It's ridiculous. So, you know, I don't have the luxury of time per se to do all of these things and then get myself ready and then be right. like, okay, dinner's at six and greet all your guests. So being able to have a major domo, being able to have someone act in that capacity in the home frees up a lot of that mental load and anybody that's into relationship psychology knows what i'm talking about with mental load and emotional burden that's what your major domo is doing is they're taking that on for you right and so it's it truly truly is a beautiful thing when it works well, so, yeah, I'll, i I'll, love them 
No, no, absolutely. And I, I just want to be clear that there's, because I've heard a couple of different forms of it over the years. Um, mm-hmm. I know in Gurian, they usually refer to first girl, but it's essentially the same yes. principle. Um, yes. Obviously, that economy is a little different in Gurian relationships, but it's similar in structure in that there's one, effectively one sub to rule them all. Basically, the rest answer to like a harem mother type setup, mm-hmm. yep. um, but it's a very similar function. Um, but that's that's a very similar description. Like the way our our leather house was structured was mm-hmm. it because it wasn't just a couple of people. It was I. Th- think in total at its heyday it was like 40 or 50 different people including all subs and bonds and whatnot um but the we had a guy on top so to speak you know the high elder so to speak the old guy from san francisco as i referred to before the true master of the house head of household but then you had his i hate using the word elder circle because that implies they're all old fogies and they were not um (laughs) but essentially distinguished members of the house either Mm -hmm. through merit through and it wasn't just by age of experience it was based on merit so someone who was extremely well versed with maybe three years of experience could just as easily have a seat on the house circle as someone who's been there 30 years it was based on what you brought to the house less so than how long you'd been in the house in that regard it was a bit more open-ended but essentially head of household still effectively destroyed all toy breakers but mm-hmm. we absolutely had to have a domo sub because there was some 25, 30 subs at any given time in our household. And with that many mm-hmm. doms as well who went went to work, etc., you didn't have time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you just absolutely. don't have time to do all of the things that were as expected of you as a household member and then teach each and every sub that walked in the door if they weren't your own on top of that. Yeah, You did what you could, and ultimately, yes, even the Domo sub eventually had to go to a house dom for final say if it was something important enough. Mm-hmm. But for the day-to-day running of, okay, these are the daily chores that are assigned by all of us, here's how we break them down, there was someone who effectively was answered to before it got to our level, for lack of a better way to put it. And yeah, in any facility structure that size, and that size could be three, four people with multiple other associated add-ons, it just gets complicated because real life. Anyone who's ever been in a poly relationship with more than two people understands even that's complicated without BDSM. (laughs) (laughs) It is. You know, even even on a good day. Even if you have one other partner, maybe, or even shared partners, it gets complicated because it has to be to be ethical. It's the nature. Mm -hmm. We do it because we enjoy it, not because the workload isn't there. Um, Absolutely. (laughs) But as a result, having Mm -hmm. someone help run the show in the background, so to speak, is needed, I would say. It's almost a necessity because, you know, people still have the rest of their lives, whether they're in a TPE arrangement in the house or not. They still have to go to work. They may or may not have kids. They may or may not have to go to college or school or any number of other things. You can't just be in the house and doing house stuff 24-7. It just doesn't work that way. So having someone on the secondary end of things to take daily essential running of the household, which is literally what a major domo was. They ran the facilities of the house and they've been referred to over the years in different formats and nobilities and cultures as, you know, the housemaid or the major domo or, you know, any number of other things in that capacity for a reason. 
like it. It's very accurate. And it's a necessity when you get to a certain point, like just for the sake of everyone's health. I can't, as big as our household was back in the day, I cannot process the idea of everyone trying to do everything all the time. I think everyone's head would explode. No joke. <laughs> I think it would just explode simultaneously. Like, nope, we're done. Um, oh, and it's because like you said, right, it can be confusing. Um, and it oh, gets... Yeah. It gets messy quick, which is why you need that management style, right? And I think I think you tend to find it more with people that are more professionally minded. Yes, absolutely. Because they naturally start categorizing things that way. And so I think I think a lot of these forms carried over from not only what you were saying in nobility, but then kind of what you see professionally, because it just becomes say, systems yeah. you're comfy with. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you'll right. see it in you'll see it more commonly as a result in professional houses, so to speak, quote unquote, as they're referred mm -hmm. to in Kink, where they ex effectively just exclusively go to events and do demos, and that is what they do. They professionally go and do events in Kink. Yeah, but to be fair, it's also when it's done right, it's gorgeous to watch because they do take it to an art form. They actually actively practice their profession, and they make it worth watching. So I definitely give them that. But as a result, their households tend to be extremely structured and absolutely will have all those working parts in place because it's part of what makes it work right. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and by the same token, a domo sub will often take on, um, at least in our house, and again, every house is different. I just use mine as an example, just like you have yours. Yeah. Um, <coughs> excuse me. No. But they would also take on the additional of helping submissives learn basics. Like if they had a question about high protocol and no DOM was mm -hmm. available, they had someone they could go to to answer basic questions who could take on at least some form of that. Not in the sense of taking over all training, but shoring up things like, oh, I don't remember if I enter so-and-so's room, am I supposed to, you know, that kind of thing. They had someone they could mm -hmm. ask without having to go to a dominant first. And considering the rigidity of household structures back in those times, that was almost vital. Because, like, okay. if you had approached the master of our household and you didn't know how to approach him <laughs> and you were a sub of the house, it probably wouldn't go well. Um, mm -hmm. Because he was It's that like complaining up. Yeah. <laughs> well, because that's exactly the way he designed it for a reason. So he would expect it to work a certain way because that's literally what he built. But that's why we had people in place to handle those things so that it wasn't an issue. Because I can't imagine some poor sub joining a house like that and being like, fuck, I don't know what to do. Well, that's not going to go well very quickly. That's how a house dies. But. Well, that gave us a chance to actually go into households as a whole anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to throw you a curveball because um, I just had somebody reach out with a really good question. And these are terms that I am not familiar with. So I'm, I want to pick your brain okay. to see if you're familiar. Uh -oh. um, because I understand the mechanism of what they do and why they exist. But I've never heard them referred to this way. Okay. The title of Submissent and Kindred. Submissent. Submissent. Yeah. So instead huh. of submissive, submissant. Yeah. So of course, and of course, I'm I'm chatting with this person because I'm like, 
First off, thank you for giving me something to dive into today because I'm going to research the fuck out of that now. Yeah, I um, definitely am. That's the first I think so, I've heard of that particular one. Me too. So the definition that was thrown at me was submissions are are dominance or kindred that have been chosen and have been allowed to work toward becoming a submissive in the household. They will begin to serve the household in a new capacity until they earn their title as submissive. They hold the title of submissive during the transition to indicate that they have left the dominant path and are now on the path of working towards becoming a submissive. So my first question is, is this a person who still wants to be a dominant within their relationships within the community, but they want to be in service to a household, almost like a community aspect, because they they want to have that sense of belonging. They want to be a part of a house. But then my other, my other thought would be, a lot of times with anyone that's on the right side of the slash, so to speak, um, so top, bottom, sub, you know, any of those kind of monikers, Typically, when they come into a household, they're not automatically granted the title submissive anyway. Um, most of the houses that I've been affiliated with or a part of or friends with, they simply are just a member of the household. They don't get an actual title. Not until they get welcomed into being part of the actual structure. That's right. when they get the term house sub, house boy, things like that. Um and so that's, I've always heard it referred to as a house sub or, or pledge, you See, know, things like that, especially if you're the MC side of things. Yeah. I've never heard the term submissant, but it sounds I, like they have the same function. I want to say submissant is probably specific, either regional or to that household, because it sounds like a term they use for their own purposes. And don't get me wrong, as we've said thousands of times, there is nothing wrong with that if it serves their purpose. More power to them. Um, right. But it sounds like that's probably the case only because I could make a list of initiate labels in households I've come across alone. Just myself. Yeah. Um, Cabana Boy. There you go, Woody. Um, <laughs> you laugh, Banana but I'm pretty sure I've heard different. similar before. But anyway, but I have heard House Page, Initiate, um, yeah. House Slave, House Bottom. Now, in our case, in our household, we didn't have an actual term because you were indoctrinated into the house right out of the gate. The elders effectively, yeah. for lack of a better description, outside of the master himself, they would actually sit down and have the equivalent of an interview with you, at least three of them together. Mm -hmm. So there was at least enough of them to yeah. give quota. And they would mm -hmm. ask you questions about your personality and your, especially if you weren't inherently kinky already, like I wasn't. Mm -hmm. I was 19. And so my, as I've said before, it was a friend of mine's older brother who introduced me. And it was, he must have seen whatever qualities he thought were appropriate. And so he approached me first and said, would you be comfortable having this meeting with, and again, 19 year old, super secret society sounding thing. Of course, I'm all for this. <laughs> I want to know the handshake. Know then. <laughs> But of course, I'm curious, you know, especially it's someone I knew and I knew well enough to not be like awkward about it. Like, oh, OK, maybe he knows something I don't. Whatever. Sure, I'll meet these people. And it was an open coffee meeting. It was at a cafe. Nothing fancy. Everything above board, you know, plain clothed. I almost was for a moment. I wasn't sure I wasn't meeting the Masons. Like it came across like that, which keep in mind, we're talking the turn of the 1990s. It was a very... You know, as some of us understand it, it was a very different time for kink and you didn't broadcast mm -hmm. what you were about. and You were afraid other people oh. would hear you. 
So it was very up and up and quiet. And they asked me a series of questions as a trio. And mm-hmm. and obviously, ultimately, they liked what they heard. So they were just like, so listen, this is what we do. This is what we want mm-hmm. you, you know, you need to show up at such and such time for your first meeting, etc. And you always have the opportunity to opt out. Right. And you effectively became an initiate of the house, at which point you would become a bottom to however many people involved, usually two or three, because you weren't Mm -hmm. a person's bottom. You were a house bottom. House bottom. Mm -hmm. While you still learned how to be a household member in Leather and Kink, because this was specifically a leather house. So over time. Basically, you you had to prove that you knew how to behave. Well, they made sure you were given the tools to do so. And that was the thing is this was a house that was structured with education as part of its base. And nice. it was one of the few places where awarding of leather was actually a thing. And mm-hmm. it wasn't so much that you leveled up. It was a sign of competence in your training. And that was the way they based it. So when you earned your boots, it means you were a competent member of the house, at least enough to be recognized as part of the house proper. You were still a bottom and you were still learning. But you learned the basics and were qualified enough to be trusted on your own for more than five minutes, effectively. And that usually didn't take very long, say three to six months. Your vest, which was the next major phase, was effectively your coming into the household proper. um, Mm. Because that was when you could choose your role in the house and continue from there. You actually had Mm. the right to choose. And it meant you were competent enough as a bottom and well-versed enough to understand the responsibility of each role to make a decision. Because that's what most of your bottom time was. It wasn't getting beaten all the time. It was instruction. A lot of instruction. You know, I was literally Mm -hmm. educated in protocols. I was educated in what the role meant and the responsibility of a dominant to their submissive. All of those things was poured into my head at 22 years old. So when Mm -hmm. I earned my vest... Well, says were we in the same house? Which means, yeah, you you come from the same background. You know what I'm talking about. We've come from that era, and I know while you weren't part of that yourself, Miss Knox, you were part of the group in that time frame. You understand what we're talking about. I do. Yeah, very much so. You know, that was a different time to be leather and kinky. Um, Absolutely. But as a result, the style of it was very different than what it's become today, because it was so much more rigidly structured and a lot less open. Like nowadays, you can find households that aren't leather where they're just kinky. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but there's a very different structure involved and it's often much more loose. And if they're being ethical, I don't give a shit. More power to them. Have fun. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm never going to tell them they're wrong. Not unless they are, so to speak. But if they're being on the ethical up and up and they're well in their community, more power to them. Um. But I also think we've covered a lot of household for now. Uh, <laughs> it's easy it to do because it's, it's a rabbit hole. But it's well, um, there's there's so many misconceptions around. Yes, just like you said, it's a it's this mis- mythical thing where it's like, oh, it's not. It's yeah, that's why I like you describing it as a secret society because I really think that's how people view it, and it's well, they do. Um, it's, it's not that even on my darker Facebook profile, like I, you know, I come from the generation that's referred to as old guard. But mm-hmm. I don't like being associated as old guard because I don't feel like I'm right. associated with that that way because I am not a gatekeeper. I am not an old fogey from San Francisco. I don't care what kind of leather you have or your culture. I only care if you're being ethical and wearing the covers. You know what I mean? Like, 
Yeah, I do. I just I do come know from a mean. different generational mentality, so I don't associate with it the same way. But for the purposes of if someone doesn't know any better, I am effectively part of the old guard, much like Welf is and other people in our generational group. Mm-hmm. I will never say that I'm old guard specifically because I am not a gay man. Well, that's fair. I mean, neither am I even for though, that purpose. But... Even though I have a lot of the, the values and I have a lot of the ideologies that were passed right. down from folks claiming that and having the regalia, shall we say, um, I will never... What what you will always hear me say is that I am classically trained, not in the old ways, huh. um, because that's usually you know, hot speak for I'm a prostitute. But that's fair. I say that I'm classically trained because I literally have held every station, um, and so because to me that was the way that you came up. You had to start on the bottom, right. even if you identified as a dominant and you worked your way up because that was your community investing back in you and recognizing you. So I will claim to be classically trained. I will never claim to be old guard. See, and that's why I always listen when people say they're classically trained and I give them five minutes because I know mm-hmm. people who are like 22 and claim they're classically trained, but they were trained by what, a 27 wiping their ass. Exactly. You were trained in how to just not be as feral. That's you, you were know, trained no, not no. to be an asshole as badly. I mean, and I don't don't get me wrong. I don't mm-hmm. disrespect sure. that they at least learned to be vaguely competent. Yes, but it's not the same because I guarantee you didn't learn the way I did. And I'm not saying that makes you less. As I've said a thousand times, my education level has nothing to do with being better. I just received mm-hmm. a lot of it. And I'm a firm believer that everyone should have that, not just myself. It doesn't make me better than anyone else. It's I want everyone else to have it so -hmm. that we're all Mm -hmm. equals in that level of competency and ethics. I think that's the part that matters. Yeah. And and I and that's I think that's what people should be focusing on and not the other stuff, because the other stuff you're getting too lost in it. And you're it's, ignoring the reason why you started in it to begin with. I'm right? sorry. I need a It sounds right. So you suck dick too? Yes. Yeah. No, like, absolutely. Absolutely. Because if do? you don't, you're not truly old guard. Let's be real. Um, mm-hmm. True that. Um, um, so yeah. So since since we are on the, the household structure kind of stuff, um, so what's the next one? Um real quick because it's not part of our current topic but i do want to actually answer it um woody just so you are aware that would be what's the equivalent of new guard and that branched out in the 80s that's i've said before we're eventually going to do a proper leather history episode (laughs) because we're going to have to um just because enough people will have those questions over time because Mm -hmm. so much of our roots and kink come from it Mm -hmm. and there's still so many myths and misconceptions about it but for the purposes of, yeah, but moving on for the purposes of our topic, um, just because, yeah, I will absolutely do an episode on leather houses, too, for the same yeah. reasons, because there's so much we can talk it's about. It's needed. Mm-hmm. And I want I people to have that understanding. Just I don't want them mm-hmm. to think we just talk about leather either, because we don't. It's not just mm-hmm. about leather. You just mm-hmm. have to recognize. It's a small part you- of it, honestly. Well, you just have to be able to recognize that you can't separate leather from kink when you get into any kind of historical talk because they were so based in each other. And to say otherwise or to associate otherwise is disservicing the understanding of where it came from. Not because Mm -hmm. it's like that today, but you still should know where where the terms come because so much of that organization is thanks to the leather community. 
-hmm. It's just evolved to the point where it's no longer all leather. And I think that's just as important because that's a beautiful thing. I love that there's people out there that are not leather that are kinky as fuck. I think that's important too. Your expression is your journey and that's how it should be. But as a leather person, I'm going to be a little biased. <laughs> Just a wee bit. Yes, salt father. <laughs> Regale us, salt father. That's another episode. Anyway. I know, I know. <laughs> or three at the rate we'd go. Um, <laughs> yeah. For both, yes. We can blame the salt father, but let's not lie to each other. We can both do that one. Um, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> it's just my way of, of ribbing you, that's all. Oh, I know. And that's perfectly fine, too. <laughs> Um, but no, we've, we've covered for lack of a better way to put it, the essentials in the sense of essential, but esoteric relationship styles in kink. Um, because we've covered all the bases, we've covered the base six, but then there's the entire plethora umbrella of all the specialists, as I like to call them. And that's, you know, specifically niche ones. And yes, Woody, for the record, you are absolutely spot on about you can't remove leather from mm-hmm. gay pride if you go back far enough. Um, True that. But specifically, might as well just start with the let's rip that Band-Aid off and get it over with DDLG, or as we call it today, CGL+, a.k.a. Caregivers yes. and Littles. Um, because, and I totally, you know, what's funny is 10 years ago, I would have corrected it to DDLG every time out of spite. But I am also gender neutral enough to respect why it shifted. It just took a while for my old school brain to get there. And I can freely admit that. Um, Because it's definitely moved on. In fact, heteronormative DDLG is actually not the norm anymore. Correct. There's a whole stack of non-daddy little combos these days. And I think that's fantastic. I think it's changed it so dramatically. It's definitely becoming more prominent. It used to be... Because even even so, my perspective, having worked in clubs, you know, and, and done, you know, event organization, stuff like that, um, anything in that broader umbrella usually was a group of maybe 10 people at a time. You really didn't see or hear a whole lot of it other than the visual representations. If you happen to see somebody with a pacifier or something like that, you really actually didn't see it. Daddies were not easy to spot. No, um, they were not. It, it, they, no, they really weren't. And so, but now it is more mainstream. It's more common. Um, no, and I think it's absolutely a very valuable part of the community. It's not a kink that I engage with. It's not a fetish that I will ever play with. Um, right. I absolutely appreciate it. And I appreciate holding space for the people that want to do it because the amount of vulnerability that goes into that specific uh, mindset um, you have to do it so carefully. Yes. And I've been very, very fortunate that I have become very close friends with a local lady who runs a littles group. And she was the one that really taught me the difference between these different acronyms and all the different alphabets, because I always thought a little is a little is a little. You know, I always thought that if you are the type that said I'm a little that you were into diapering. And I didn't realize that all of those are radically different identities. Oh yeah. And they don't, even within that community, they do not agree necessarily as to the behaviors and stuff like that. And so I found it fascinating to learn about because all knowledge is worth having. Right. But 
even even though it's it's a kink and a fetish that I don't participate in, um, I will say that it's one of the few fetishes that I've gotten to observe, again as an outsider, where there is far more emphasis placed on the psychological well-being, and there's far more emphasis placed on consent than any other community I've seen. Yes. Um. And it's the one thing that I will say I've always felt that that community has gotten right, that the rest of the kink has not. Um, because even within the BDSM umbrella and then expanding out, out to kink as a whole, we understand enthusiastic consent. Everybody agrees on that. But, and we understand consent with subspace because that's why you don't renegotiate in the middle of a scene. You don't start adding shit during a scene that you didn't talk to before they were in subspace, right? We all know this shit. But within... <coughs> The ABDL littles, you know, and that whole umbrella, that understanding takes on a radically different tone because of the shift in mindset that you're having, that you're not just dealing with subspace, you're now dealing with little space or middle yes. space. And that kind of a negotiation is very, very different. It looks different. It has to be. It absolutely has to be. Has to be. Right. Which I find endlessly fucking fascinating. It's... And the the friend that I have, and this is why she's so compelling for me. Most people, when they switch, they're able to to switch into their mindset to engage in this style of play. They they can't come in and out of it very fluidly. It's like you're you're in it and then you're not, and that there, you've got to have that transition phase to get back to what I'll call your vanilla self, right? Yes. This person that I'm friends with is endlessly fucking fascinating to me because I have watched her come in and out of little space so fluidly. She yep. can run an event, a whole ass fucking event while in little space, but still direct people as they come in, greet them and then go back to playing. It's also ridiculously cute to watch. It's fucking adorbs, but, and it's even cuter because she's just a diminutive person anyway. Yeah. That never but does. <laughs> no, no, she's just fucking adorbs. But, but I've been able to watch this mindset shift for her in and out. And it's the tone of voice changes, you know, her demeanor changes, the way she holds her shoulders. Like, I mean, just to be able to observe that yeah, again, from somebody who doesn't engage in this kink has been fucking fascinating. So I do absolutely appreciate this this fetish now whereas before i don't think i did i think i, I kind of had some misperceptions that were not positive i had i don't know i've come a long way on my journey with with regards to ddlg now cgl plus because i came from that old school and i'm gonna have to cover both because i didn't end up diving into being a daddy until my last couple of relationships so it's new for me in terms of direct experience um and yes, and you know, just just to cover the bases here because they were written but not said out loud. ABDL littles, middles, Lolitas, caregivers, daddies, mommies, bigs, regressives, brats. Though not everybody wants to own brats in that camp. Unfortunately, they're still part of it. Deal with it. Um, and infantilism are all part yeah. of that bigger umbrella. Yeah. Um, I don't disagree with you that brats are a separate thing. But there's a variety of camps that can go either way on that. And that's only because they came from the same umbrella. Um, much the same way other things like leathers, you know, kink has evolved from leather. Brats have evolved out of CGL. 
because that is where they got their start. Yeah. And it's it's just because of the nature of the personality types that were in it most commonly back once upon a time. Um, but we're now talking also like 20 plus years ago in some cases with the evolution of CGL. Because when I had started, you know, DDLG was an exclusively master-slave arrangement. It was just one with even more moving parts than already existed. And that's the best way to explain it is take what you know of a master-slave environment and then mm-hmm. add extra steps, required extra steps. Because more often than not, littles in those days, as rare as they were, and they were even more rare than people realize, part of mm-hmm. that was because more often than not, most littles back in the day were also regressive. We didn't have separate mm-hmm. terms for them back then because almost all sub- – Missives who were littles often had age regression as part of the makeup, and it was part of what fed little space. But this was mm-hmm. also back when they were less common, and you didn't have people recognizing there were different facets to it like we do today. Much like many yeah. other things, you you build on a foundation and you evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, and you couldn't claim to be a daddy if you were less than 30 years old, because every single person would look at you like a pariah. Because the level of dedicated work involved to be a daddy in those days was so over the top that if Mm -hmm. you didn't have enough experience as a dominant already in the community, no one took you seriously. And I mean no one. No one at all. Um, I won't get into pets in this because we're going to cover that separately. Um, I do understand what you're saying, Woody, and there are those that do. I don't. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, I was going to say, I have, I have experience Because they can be this, age so players I... as well. But pet play specifically is its own environment. Only because the relationship yeah. style can be different. But we'll get into that as we get to that point. Um, yeah. Just so I can finish my Yeah, because I, I go on first. a rant for that one. <laughs> yep. Oh, no, absolutely. And I know you can because you currently have one. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. But by that, you know. When I started, DDLG was a very rigid structure. It had very few people operating in it, even more so than Master Slaves already did. And what I found interesting, I am one of those people who have no problem owning. When it first started becoming, I hate using the term mainstream because that implies that kink went mainstream, and that's certainly not true. But when it Mm -hmm. became more prevalent, it became more prevalent within the younger generation specifically, which, to be fair, makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. And it became much more open-ended and less rigidly structured. And as that evolved, it became, you found more, well, why can't I be a mommy? Why can't I be a little without age regression? Why can't little space be separate from? And all Mm -hmm. of these things started becoming out. Well, I don't associate with young littles. I'm more like a middle, you know, and, and we've... You know, we will eventually have an entire separate episode for CGL because it needs one because we could go all day for each individual part of that. And that would just bog down the rest of this episode doing that alone. So we're not going to do that today. But all of those are now separate facets for a reason. And so CGL plus actually does make more sense nowadays. For one thing, because the heteronormativity that was a daddy little arrangement is not the norm anymore. The level of experience required to be it acceptable is definitely not the norm anymore. In fact, I would almost, as much as I hate to call it that way, I would even venture to say that CGL is almost, 
I won't say an entry-level kink, because that implies that it's easier than any other, and it's not. It's not even close to a difference that way. It can be just as complicated. But you find more younger people able to embrace the ideals of it in the current environment than you would have, say, 20 years ago, where it was a much more rarefied thing. And I think part of that is because the nature of the playing style of it, the playfulness of it, is more appealing to younger folk. That's an opinion, though. That is not a fact or, you know, <laughs> that is solely my perspective and opinion based on the littles that I have operated around. Um, but it has definitely become this very distinct thing, and it definitely has its own spaces. Um, my last partner was a little who had age regression as part of her makeup. And mm. it was it was very much trauma based. I won't get into that here because that's her business. And, sure. yeah, you know, again, that's part of a DDLG episode that requires its own diving into because we could go on for that alone with age regression. Yeah, that's um, a long one. It has to be, though, in order <laughs> to give it any kind of service. Um, mm -hmm. But for the purposes of this, it's a case where age regressive littles are very different from non age regressive. Mm -hmm. In that their little space is a very different animal because there's less, I won't say there's less sensitivity involved, but for those that are actually not familiar with it or haven't dove into it, because it's probably one of the few kinks where you can find actually decent information about just because it's the most commonly found in the younger group. Um, for those who somehow have, you know, fallen into kink for the first time and have never heard it before they got to this episode, just because I don't assume everybody. Um, Little Space is a very different universe, and we will cover it properly in that episode, but it's much more playful, it's much more open-ended, and it is frequently non-sexual. Um, not because it can't be, because again, age playing is a kink, and it is a kink mm -hmm. very much found in that umbrella, though not exclusive to that umbrella either. Um, age play can be its own thing, it's just commonly found in the CGL community. Yeah. But... yep. Little Space, actually, Little Space itself is often not age play specific. It is mm -hmm. usually non-sexual in nature. And more often than not, it's where you get the image of Littles playing and coloring and sitting in their yeah. overalls and all of that. All the things that we associate with the cuteness of DDLG. And yes, I will use DDLG and CGL interchangeably, forgive me. I'm I'm old school enough that those terms will always be interchangeable, but know that I'm not ascribing a heteronormative association to any of it it's still gender neutral yeah <laughs> i've just been around but long I, enough to hear both I, but i like this woody makes a good point it's the difference between age play and dark age play and yes. when we talk about pets i'll go into dark pet play as well yes. because those that they is are a very, very specific thing in mm -hmm. fact i would ever i would definitely venture to say dark age play is not exclusively but is often in the edge play camp for a variety of reasons 100% edge play. 100% edge play. Yep, exactly. Yes. Because the nature 100%. of the way it is played requires so many more moving mm -hmm. parts and discussions for safety for everyone involved. Yes. Because it does absolutely tap into that darker side of things. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, 100%. You, you know what? Yeah. People can actually research that for themselves. We're not going to cover it here because, again, we're trying not no. to spend the entire episode on any one topic. Um, <laughs> if you really don't want to do it yourself, you can wait till we do that episode. It will happen. But for the purposes of, yeah, dark age play is very similar to, you know, we'll just call them out here much like rape play and 
CNC and a variety fear play in certain capacities where they're on the very distinctly the parts of kink that are dangerous enough and it's where we get the most dangerous dichotomies of you can really do some hurting on someone because it's not physical injury and it can yeah. permanently scar them in ways you can't take back if you don't do it correctly yeah. not that you can't do that with any kink obviously but there is a huge difference in how bad it can get. Let's put it that way. Absolutely. Well, we are on the same page for that. <laughs> Although that allows <laughs> us to segue directly into pet play since. <laughs> we can. I mean, and for those that are in both camps, there's nothing wrong with, I see where people associate age and English. It's a word. Uh, <laughs> I understand where they associate it with CGL, but people need to understand it isn't strictly because the relationship style itself is different. Um, because while old school CGL is much more owner style, master slave TPE level stuff, mm -hmm. the more current styles frequently are not and are frequently non-sexual. Again, not, you know, universal by any stretch and everyone's journey is their own. Oh, yeah. But for those that don't understand the difference or don't know enough of either one to be misinformed, the difference is that pet play, even in the more casual side, is often still more associated with that ownership style of arrangement, even if it's not TPE. Well, and obviously, just like any other power exchange, right, pets have as just as many variations as, you know... We'll, we'll call mainstream fetish, right? Yeah. Um, for lack of a better way to put it. It, it. Like, I, you know, I'm lucky, again, to be in contact daily now with somebody who's part of the pet community who helps run local pet community, does events and things like that, um, does education for pet play. And this was something that when I met, so when Vex, Vixen came into our lives, I didn't know jack shit about pet play. Um, I knew people did it and I knew about the cute little e-girls with the cat ears and shit like that. And my whole impression of pets was usually chicks doing it just to get money. Um, it was not a positive association at all. What I saw was pet play being used for like humiliation um, and degradation, things like that. I never saw pet play as its own actual dynamic. Then of course, you know, you meet people and it rocks your world. Um, and I've been very, very fortunate to engage with some of the community leaders around Los Angeles in the pet play community that are world renowned. And so I've been able to ask those dumbass newbie questions, right? And get get people that are <laughs> willing to engage with me and educate me, um, you know, and really help me understand what I was seeing. And because the the very first pet play event I went to. To say that I had sticker shock is putting it kindly. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah. segue into this for a hot minute because it's Go actually Go for funny. it. Go so, for it. You will know. So there's so one of the premier groups out here that has, I feel, one of the best organized play parties. And yes, I'm slightly biased, but I've seen That's it okay. firsthand. <laughs> there's, there's a group called SoCal Creatures. And SoCal Creatures is run by my slave and Mistress Wiley Wolf. And 
what I have watched Wiley and Vixen create literally from the ground up is a community of healthy, well-adjusted, welcoming people that are 100% pets. And I've been able to see that the actual power exchange isn't always that of a trainer and a pet owner and a pet. There's such a gradient. And right. pet play now, because through this podcast, we're viewing things through a leather lens. Typically, when we talk about pet play in the leather community, we're talking about leather pups and ponies. Yeah. And that's a very because different that's thing, what you too. see. It's extremely different. And it's important to note that because, yes. um, again, in the context of leather, we expect what we see in bars because that's what we know. Yeah. And the pet, pet the pet community is so much more than that. It's such a richer experience. Leather pups have their place. Leather pups are absolutely valid in the, in the sphere of pet community. But it's also radically different different from the actual pet community yes. and i do view them as very separate because the way that they play is different the way that they interact is different the actual communities are different so when you talk about leather pups and ponies i really want people to understand that that is a completely separate almost community that happens to have some overlap with the kink pet play community and in kink pet play what you find is not only every type of animal you could fucking imagine. I've seen turtles. I've seen snakes. I've seen unicorns. I've seen stags. I've seen puppies, kittens, dogs, cats, fish, octopus, turtles. Like, you fucking name it, I've seen it. And a lot of people will still confuse them with furries, which please don't ever fucking do that. That's actually very offensive to the pet community to compare them to furries or, or to try to overlap them. Um, but oh, no, absolutely. And I, yeah, they're, they're so, so different, but in the pet pet community specifically though, what you have is a more expansive view again of consent because it, again, you have to understand when somebody's in pet space, the way that they communicate, much like Littles, is completely different. Yes. It's based on their fursona. It's based on their headspace while in that in their pet space. And so, and I'll use Vixen as an example. When Vixen is in her alpha cat mode, it's like owning a house cat. There's no question. <laughs> you don't negotiate with a terrorist. And so a lot of people will see, see that from the outside looking in and be like, oh, so who's the dominant now? Well, who fucking owns you? It's your cat. But, you know, we're just a food delivery device at that stage, you know. But I've also been able to watch how her alpha cat personality interacts with other pets. Yeah. So <laughs> when house cats own you. Oh, God, yes. You are. You are Anyone a who's ever been delivery. a cat owner should know that as a lying to themselves. <laughs> So, so what's funny is in pet space, when you're at a pet event, when Vixen's in alpha cat mode, there's a lot of times that people won't understand who's the dominant, who's the submissive. There's a lot of people that will mistake that because I don't call myself her owner. I don't call myself her trainer. She's an alpha cat. She doesn't need me. She's housebroken. Um, but, you know, kind of the same token to watch her interact with other pets you know, she'll get on top of things and perch and start batting at the pups as they run below her. 
you know, she'll throw toys at other cats and try to bait them into pouncing on them. And it's fucking adorable. Um, but one of the other cool things that I've seen is, again, just the way you negotiate with somebody in that headspace. Because a lot of it is nonverbal. Um, you know, negotiating a scene, just like you do with bio pets, right? Like if you walk up to a dog and you want to pet the dog and the dog doesn't want to be petted, they fucking walk away from you. And you don't chase after the dog, please let me pet you, puppy. You know, you don't do that shit to bio pets. You don't do that to Well, you definitely don't do it to a cat. It's a great way to get your eyes clawed out. I mean, you know. Correct. But that's what I mean is like, so the perception of consent within this community to me is so pure. Yes. It's so pure because it's, it's instinctual. You know, I don't like your energy. Turn around, walk away. And as the human trying to interact, be like, hey, you know, do you want to, you want some treats? Do you want to do a little bit of training? You know, instantly if that person's game or not, because they'll sit back on their, on their heels and kind of look at you like, okay, okay, I'm ready. Or they just walk away from you because they're not interested. It's and so all body of those language are valid. dependent and it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I love it. There is so much communication that's happening through the eyes and that body language that yes. you do have to start reading them like you would a bio pet. And yeah. it's, it's really neat. And, and that's and, kind of the point. Yeah. Yeah. You do not want to be a Malinois. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. You're hilarious. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, and so, and that's the thing is there's, there's a lot of different facets to pets and people can identify as multiple different pets, just like we have multiple different fetishes. And I said, I was going to touch on dark pet play for a hot minute, much like the DDLG camp, sex versus non-sexual activity, right? Within the pet community, by and large, it is non-sexual. Most times when you go to events, it's non-sexual play. However... There are times that you will see sex happen. And the reason why they call it dark pet play is you're starting to dabble in the more harsher psychological edge play sides of it. So an example that I'll give, forced breeding. Um, uh, yeah. Pretending like you're in a pet shop and you're the last animal to be picked to be rehomed, but you got rehomed to somebody that does dog fighting. Um, vet play. That's another one. All of those are considered to be dark pet play. And I think for obvious reasons. Yeah, no, absolutely. All of us can, can see how, how the psychological ramifications and the fear play specifically. Right. So there's a lot of shit that goes to that. And like I said, I've been very fortunate to have somebody in my family that's deeply ingrained in this community. And I've been able to watch her grow and, you know, see the friends that she's made in the partnerships. And and I will tell you that this community also is unique in my experience. Again, coming into it as an outsider. Right. I was welcome. And it wasn't come view us like you would animals in a zoo. Ha ha ha. We're going to run, run around playing frolic. It was, I came in, obviously I was the new person because not, you know, not into pet play. And I was like, I'm just the awkward plus one. And I had multiple people throughout the event come up to me. Hey, do you understand what you're seeing? Do you have any questions? Can I help you with anything? I had owners coming up to me saying, do you understand the power exchange that you're seeing? At no time was anybody shitty or snarky. At no time were people going, this isn't for you. You should walk away. This is our space. It literally was, hey, let me share this with you. 
Yeah. And that was very unique to experience. And I've never seen it in any other community. In the no. pet play community, they are so open and welcoming. They're so much and more pure than so many others. Even Dover is. CGL, which is one of the more welcoming communities mm-hmm. as a whole, though it has its gatekeepers. Yeah. Even still. Yeah, and pets do. And pets do too, right? Like you can't oh, get sure. away from that. But what I've seen, at least in the, the, the SoCal creatures sphere and the people that attend that event, I've never felt that from anybody there. As soon as they know that somebody is new, like, I kid you not, you get swarmed by 10 or 15 happy, eager people that are like, here, let me show you around. Hey, let me, you want to check out my gear? Let me show you my tail. And it's like, it is pure. And I see why there's a lot of people that have that misperception that there's a lot of overlap between pet and littles. Um, And I'm not going to say that there's not because there is, but it's not the majority. The majority of pet players are not age players. Um, Truth. And the majority of pet players, you have to understand when they are in their pet mindset, they are that animal. It's not a bullshit cosplay. No. They, you know, and people just like in kink, right? You start out with your cheap PVC shit from Wish and Amazon and stuff like that. And then you graduate to real leather gear. Pet play is the same. You'll start out with what you can afford and what you can create. And then as you get close to the community, you start correctly identifying what kind of a pet you actually are. And people have multiples. You know, Vixen's a great example. She's got multiple pets that she identifies as. And they change depending on who she's interacting with and and her mindset that day. And there's some that are more closely guarded than others, right? Yeah. But... But no, I, I was going to give the the short story of me walking into a pet event for the first time because it was hilarious. So I had just, mind you, Viking and I had just moved to L.A. We'd been here for all of like six months. Meet Vixen. Vixen's like, yeah, I'm a pet player. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? And I was like, like cat ears and tail and shit. And she's like, yeah, I was like, so a butt plug. And she's like, no. And I was like. I don't know what the fuck that is then. Because I had no idea. And I was honest with her, right? We were oh, having I'm that sure. frank, honest conversation where I could say fucked up shit and it wasn't offensive. And so she's like, do you want to go to an event? And they call them pet moshes. It's a pet mosh. And so I was like, is this a play party? And she was like, yeah, but we call it a mosh. So I'm like, fuck yeah, I want to see this shit. Because I'm like, bullshit, this can't be real. And, and I was expecting a furry convention, not going to lie. That's what I was expecting. I figured I would show up, a bunch of people in fucking dog outfits and shit like that. And I was picturing what most people picture that is actually furry conventions. A bunch of people in suits, head to toe, walking around, maybe humping each other. And that's that. <laughs> the pet community is not any of that shit. No. Um, I walked in. And of course, I got to watch the setup of the space. And it was a very intentional setup of the space. Play mats are put down so that as you're crawling on your hands and knees, you're not banging up and bruising yourself. Um, you know, water dishes are put out so that people can come up and get water. And when you're in your your pet mindset, everybody has a straw and your name is on the straw so that you didn't, you know, commingle things necessarily without right. consent. Um, <clears throat> and everything was put at a lower level because, again, you're on all fours. And so that was... It was really cool to see how much intentionality was going into the space. And that is obviously changes from event to event. But with this group specifically, there's a shit ton of attention to a detail. Um, you know, they hung up all the pride flags to represent all the different animal pride. They That's awesome. 
created rooms so that if you wanted to be sexual, you were away from the main play and you could be sexual kind of out of earshot of everybody else. Um, so that the people that might get triggered by that or have a hard time with sexual pet play didn't have to be around it. Um, so that kind of like intentional separation. Again, I saw the intentionality and was just like, oh my fucking God, like y'all have planned this down to the nth degree. And to, and this is the other thing that's cool about the pet community that you don't see in other communities. They have fucking minions. They set up for an event. Huh. I shit you not. It's a horde of like 20 fucking people that show up and they're like, how can I help? You don't get that oh, in yeah. other events. Let me just tell you, as an organizer, if you get three people that show up and say, hey, can I help you set up? Can I help you clean? That's a great fucking day. But in the pet community, I shit you not. There was 20 people that showed up that were like, what can I do? You need the trash taken out? I'm your trash panda. Oh, you need me to, to get on my hands and knees and clean that up because something spilled? I'm on it. I'll be your little cleaner raccoon. And they're happy to be of service. And it's such a genuine, pure, they're like, no, this is my community. I want to invest back into it. They do not treat it as transactional. Um, and, and I will say, and I cannot say this enough, you do not see that in any other facet of kink. Um, so then the mosh starts, play happens. And I'm watching everybody gear up and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like I'm seeing tails, hoods, you know, full body costumes. And I'm like, oh, I can imagine. Oh my God. Yeah. I legit had shock because when I was shocked by, you know, because like pony play to me is a great example. If you ever want to see what it looks like to have one of the most in depth, also typically expensive gear setups, look at a leather oh, pony. Yeah. It's so much work and so much money. Oh my God. It's, it's so awesome when it was done staggering. right, but it is not for the faint of heart or pocketbook. No, <laughs> no, and that is part of, and that's part of the problem, right? Accessibility, because not everybody, yeah. like, you may identify as a pony, but you can't be that pony, and we've all been there. And I don't want to harp on that, but no, but to watch, absolutely. But one of the other things that I saw in the pet community that I've not seen in other communities is the ability to say. Oh, hey, you you don't have a hood yet. No, I don't have a hood yet because I don't really know how I identify. Here, do you want to try mine on? Yep. Or, hey, I noticed that you don't have a tail, but I have a tail that matches that ears. Do you want it? And then they help them. Here, and let it's me help like, you try it out and see if you like it. No, absolutely. Yeah, see if this is who you are. It's so you much don't more see welcoming. that in other facets of kink. No, absolutely. So I was watching all this happen, and then I started seeing the play happen. And I was watching trainers you know, do tricks with the pups, you know, and using the little bag of treats like you would a bio dog, you know, how you train a dog to sit, stand and that kind of stuff. And I'm watching people use like Scooby snacks and stuff like that to, to train their, their new pet. And, and I'm watching it going, I don't know what I expected because I had the mentality that it was going to be kink play. Yeah. But it was not to see a Westminster dog show. And that's what I was seeing is people that were on no, par with sure. that. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? And and I remember I was so, I had to have had the deer in the headlights look because at one point, um, Wiley, who was one of the organizers, she came up to me and she's like, are you good? <laughs> and I was like, I'm trying to understand what the fuck I'm seeing because 
Now, and Wiley, you know, to be fair, Wiley is a, is a professional dominant, professional educator. So totally, my questions to her were her bread and butter, and she knew exactly how to guide me through what I was seeing. And that's great. You know, I Vixen was was also in pet space, so like I didn't want to impinge on that. So I, right. I was asking Wiley a lot of questions, and Wiley has had so much patience with me. But but it's been interesting because she was able to really break it down and explain to me what what am I seeing. What is the actual power exchange interaction that's happening? And what are they getting from it? Because that was my biggest question is what are you getting? Because with the other power exchange dynamics, I think all of us very readily see what the exchange is and why you do it. It makes sense to all of us. We know what box to put it in. And when I was looking at pets and handlers, I was like, okay, outside from like a cute interaction, like going to a cat cafe and renting a cat for an hour, uh-huh. like why? Well, I think why that's, do you do this? It's an interesting thing that I find fascinating that it goes it goes back to what we said about how pure it is and why it's pure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go to a dog park. Yeah. It's the best example I have ever had for pet play in an event. Go to a dog park. And I know it's not representative of everybody. So any pets that may be listening who have been different or whatnot, I'm not saying they're always the same. Please don't ever. <laughs> I would never suggest that. Not in a million years. But if you've ever watched a dog park and you'll have like, if it's a big one, you'll have like five, six, seven, eight people there. And they're all sitting mm-hmm. on benches and whatnot. Maybe they're conversing. Maybe they're minding their business. While all the animals are in the paddock together running around playing ignoring the humans having a grand old time yeah they Mm -hmm. still have an owner their owner is not inherently directly involved in everything they do and that's what trips up a lot of power exchange people about pet play is it is so not because there's no hands-on parts of it because there certainly are but there's so much more independence in a pet's ability to play that the owner is not directly involved, yeah. just present when possible. Exactly. They are not an automatic it's, requirement for play in that regard. It's, no, it's not at beautiful. all. It's, it's, it's like a comfort, right? It they is. become like a security blanket. It's not. But that know. stands to reason, just like your actual yeah. pets. Like the behavior fits Absolutely. what we know of behavioral psychology for animals. It really is. And they get it so close to accurate. It's uncanny for people who aren't familiar with it, but it's so gorgeous. And that's, and I think that's why for me, and that's why I get on such like a, a rant about pet play, because I was one of those people that had all of those weird misperceptions. I was one of those people that I was used to seeing leather pups and ponies. And I was like, oh, no, I know what pet play is. I got this. And the short answer <laughs> right. is no, the fuck I didn't. I had no fucking clue. And until, and now I've gotten to see what toxic pet communities look like, because I've unfortunately seen oh. one of those and had to help someone move themselves from that situation. Um, but through Wiley and Vixen, I've seen what healthy pet play looks like, Yeah, what community pet play looks And when I say community, I mean that in the fullest sense. Right. These folks are their own network. They protect each other. They test each other. They, it's, and it does kind of feel like a closed society and to a degree, but it's not such a close society that you can't break in. Like I said, yeah, it's these have been really some of the closed. most welcoming for people. It just that way to the uninitiated because mm-hmm. the way they operate. Absolutely. You know, and do, I mean, do, stereotypically speaking, do you see more what you would call house pets versus the exotics? Yes. 
Um, but that makes sense especially too, when, when people are trying. It. it does. Yeah. <clears throat> I, now I have seen exotics, and I have seen what you would call more like wild pets. Yes. But <clears throat> by and large, the ones that come to the moshes and stuff like that do tend to be of the the house variety. So a lot of the classes and education around pet play you'll see is that. The other quick thing that I'm going to throw out there is understand that just because somebody identifies as a pet does not mean that they're primal. Yes. Those primal are play is completely different. And a lot of people mistake that. into that here shortly, but I'm, I'm not going to go over too much because you've covered so much so beautifully. It would <laughs> actually be a disservice to just end up repeating it effectively. Uh, <laughs> and that doesn't accomplish anything. Um, I, no, I kind of want to hear you mansplain. I want to hear what it's like. That's not why. Have you ever heard me actually mansplain on purpose? I mean, no, no, but that's why I kind of want to hear it. I want to see how you try it. I probably fail just because I'm trying and thinking <laughs> about it. But anyway, it's just not the way I'm built. Um, right. But <laughs> the only two things I want to add is that one, for for those that are listening, just so that I know we've approached it before when we did our DRS type episode, just because it was worth bringing up then too with pets. Um, just to stress the point for those that are completely unaware, yeah, Woody, except that would have to be a blind react video and we're not doing video mm -hmm. recording. Nice try though. But yes, that would probably be Oof. hilarious. I don't disagree. In fact, I'd make it a challenge just to see if I could make it happen sooner. No shame. Uh, so bad. How bad can I fuck this up? Um, moving <laughs> on. Uh, in regards to pet play versus furries. Just because it does need to be said for those that are not aware, furries are not inherently a kink group. And I need to stress that for people who don't know any better, not because they don't have kinksters or that there's no kinksters in furrydom in terms of it being a kink and a fetish. That is a whole thing, and it is part of that community, and I'm not saying they don't exist either. But as a general community, they are not inherently part of the kink group. They are actually their own thing. They are frequently not power exchange related at all. Um, the furry community, ironically, is not nearly as open as the pet community is. It's actually very gatekeepy if you're not careful, depending on the region you're in. Um, and I say that only because I have friends who go to furry cons who are furries who have dived into that. And I've seen it firsthand and mm -hmm. heard about it. Um, and it's, it's an interesting thing as a result because... It is not inherently as welcoming, despite itself, but it is not exclusively. And yes, you will have crossover for obvious reasons, but I just wanted to make sure it's clear for the uninitiated that yes, pet play and furries are not only two entirely different camps, but furries are not even a part of the kink community in general, in that sense. For those that are unaware and uninitiated, now they can actually figure that out or research for themselves if they're curious or whatever. Because God forbid some furry falls into the podcast like, oh, oh, I didn't know that. Well, now you do. Um, Surprise! <laughs> because there's so but many yeah. different interchanges between the both of them, so it's important to notice. Mm -hmm. That's all. That does allow us the segue into Primal. And that is something I am an active member of. Um <laughs> In many ways. Um, it's been quite a few years since I've been part of a primal pack. But I think that's the first thing people need to understand is the difference in power exchange is so dramatic in primal. 
if it's not just a relationship between two people, if it's a polyprimal group, the dichotomy of how people interact in a power exchange is so vastly different from what people are familiar with with BDSM. Um, the question was posed what the difference is between pet and primal. And it's the first thing you need to understand is while pet play still has inherent connections to basic power exchange style in the sense of you have a top and a bottom in a standard working environment for the very bare bones foundation of, because even in pet play, that's obviously not the norm like it would be in, say, a basic dominant sub relationship. But primal is so very different. Because it is more instinctually minded, it is the more people that are involved in it, and that's a very specific mm -hmm. distinction, where you can have a primal prey and predator that are still a, a the equivalent of a DS relationship in the very similar fashion. But their play tends to be a lot more violent, and I'll get into that in a moment, because that's a big part of it. But the more people you add to that polycule style... The nature of the power exchange itself becomes very different because it becomes less one person or one or two people. It's not like a household setup. It becomes much more pack-like, which is why they're referred to as a pack and not a house or a group or community. A primal pack will often have one alpha, but that alpha can shift even sometimes multiple times in a week. And it's not inherently a power struggle every time. It depends on the environment. Um, much like in real life, if you've ever understood the wolf basics of a wolf pack and the psychology of it, the alpha mm -hmm. is not automatically the biggest, meanest member of the pack. They have displayed the qualities needed to lead the pack as a whole for its safety and betterment. Yeah. And as a result, if they are being ethical adults, because we are still people first, obviously, but primal becomes a very different animal because you have to be able to take that ethical stance with each other and be honest both with yourself and the accountability of you within others. It, it's very similar parallels to leather, but at the same time, not like leather in that regard. Yeah. Because you have to be able to put your big boy pants on or big girl pants on and recognize right now they are the person that's better for this than I am. I can't do this as well as they can right now. Or in many cases, what frequently happens if there's enough edited differences, um, for lack of a better way to put it, it will become a primal struggle, which enters into primal play, mm -hmm. which primal play is the biggest distinction more than any other, because it is often considered edge play for a reason. Um, it depends mm -hmm. on the parties involved. I have seen nonviolent primal play and heard about it. I have not personally practiced it, but... That's also why I don't practice primal play with just anyone. It is very yeah. much reserved for my intimate only after long discussion environments. And that's because the damage that is done can be very real and very physical. And let me be very clear mm -hmm. on that. Um, for those that have only heard it in passing or whatnot. Uh, but the, the nature of that kind of play is not only inherently violent, but it is violent because it is unrestrained. And that's probably the most important part. It's unrestrained. It's full force. There's a certain degree of safety, and obviously safe words and all of that still play a part of it. But I have absolutely gone to work with zero shame and had claw marks down one arm that were strong enough that I had to explain to people that I got into a fight with my cat. 
because <laughs> it wouldn't heal for more than a few. It took a week and a half to heal. And I had a pride with that when I earned it. Like, <laughs> and not if to say that the other you. person didn't get their share, but mm -hmm. that's the nature of that kind of play. And it's, it isn't always sexual, but it's really hard to find primal that isn't naturally sexual just because of the nature of how it plays. Because it very much feeds into your natural impulses and urges. That is a huge part of it, is you go in the way you feel more than you are about structure. Right, but I think that's the point of it, right? Is you're you're going oh, yeah. back to that lizard brain self and you are stripping away so much of your conditioning, so to speak, on you know, the way sex is supposed to flow. You know. Because even within I'll say just generic kink and fetish, there's still a like a decorum. Okay, so what I was saying is though with with primal be you have to be so careful because you're stripping everything down and going to that lizard brain interaction yes. and you're you're getting rid of that societal conditioning of how sex is supposed to go, the flow of sex and you know, especially heteronormative sex. You know. Um and so like there's a lot of people that just don't ever that don't ever really understand why primal is dangerous. And and that's why like I've I've been able to watch a couple of pretty brutal primal scenes and there's unfortunately some things that have happened on the dark Facebooks and stuff like that. Cases that have gone to criminal court where a lot of primal yep. play has gotten a bad rap. Oh, absolutely. Um, and it's one of those, if you know, you know, kind of conversations and the person that was held accountable for his actions needed to be to a degree. Um, but I will say primal is one of those types of play that I feel as unpopular as this might be that the top has more responsibility to make sure that the bottom knows what they're actually consenting. Yes. To. No, it's I not 100 just agree. sex. Um, and I think that's one of the common misperceptions with, because primal is inherently sexual. There's no way around it. It is sexual. It's a primal drive for sex. It's absolutely CNC. It's, you know, Oh yeah, the, it, the whole it is conquering of an another edge play person. territory. Like primal mm -hmm. as a whole is very much an edge play dynamic from the first. Um, yes. It's the kind of thing where I like I haven't even approached the subject with Syria yet, despite how long we've been together now. Simply because yeah. we have kids, there's consequences for even going <laughs> there that yeah. we won't be able to walk back from. So it's not even been worth approaching the subject. Not because I don't trust her. Right. But because there's so many moving parts involved and the chances of being able to do so in our current house environment just isn't likely. Yeah. Because, yeah. yes, I do have that as someone who's been primal for a long time now, some 20 plus years. It wasn't even a kink I started with. I picked it up in my late 20s, ironically enough, <laughs> um, despite the fact that you think I'd be less feral by then. <laughs> no, not when it comes to sex. No, nah, that's fair. <laughs> We've already touched on leather Everything sex else, being yeah. what it is. Let's be honest. I mean, if at, anyone leather understands. Leather sex is pretty brutal. When you say leather sex <laughs> and you understand it, you understand enough about primal play that you really don't need a confusion. I mean, it's in the same kind of camp. There's different parts involved and it's not at the same scale, but you get it. You don't play gently and you don't fuck around with the details because they're so important to make sure they're all on the same page. Um, yeah. I've had three total, well, 
okay, three total relationships. The first one was about six people total. So technically mm-hmm. eight people um, that okay. I have actively been primal with in my entire life. And that is hmm. simply because the intimacies levels, requ- the intimacy level required for the safety comfort of everyone yeah. involved. Mm-hmm. Because for one thing, primal does not frequently stick to a mononogamous setup. Um, it is very inherently prone to poly, more so than a lot mm-hmm. of other BDSM because of the nature of packs. Um, and that's, again, that's an individual thing. And there's people that prefer the monogamous setup, and there's nothing wrong with that either. They're not wrong for that. It's not a a bad thing. It's just less common. And that's yeah, just because that's the nature common. of animal behavior and animal psychology, which is the one thing where primal pet play, etc., they follow similar mindsets mm-hmm. in that they fall on animal psychology and the understanding of it. But that's yeah. about as far as the comparison goes that's remotely the same. But it's it allows you to draw very similar details from both because they operate under the same umbrella once you understand that psychology. Mm-hmm. You know, if you understand how cats operate, you understand how cats operate if everyone's understanding how it works. Yeah. That's kind of the point. And I've what I find interesting is most primal people I know do not inherently become animalistic. Um while that is a common theme, there's often some that don't even ascribe to that because many primal people end up falling into the canine category mm-hmm. just because of the nature of primal play and packs and such like that because sure. it's less solo, for lack of a better way to put it. Mm-hmm. But by no means is it auto-common to find an animal association in primal groups. Sometimes they're just mm-hmm. animalistic in the sense of just raw human primal fury. Yeah. And that's all they're looking for is just the ability to let out the steam, so to speak, that way. And mm-hmm. it's not auto-associated with an animal type. But make no mistake, there are many animal types even within primal. I've watched the equivalent of a lion pride. And I say lion pride because, yes, there was one male in a group, and I think there was like eight people total. But all seven females were equal opportunity to kick some ass. Like, like it was not a subservient difference in that way. It wasn't like a normal <laughs> lion pride that way. Yeah, I could see that. It, it was amazing sometimes because you never knew who was going to wear the pants that group, so to speak, because <laughs> it was equal opportunity. And that was the way mm-hmm. they operated. Yeah. But they were very feline associated. And it was kind of interesting to see as a result because it's harder to find that. Just because the, as opposed to pet play where cats are more common, because most great cats are not social animals. Right. They are often very isolated unless they're mating. You don't see it as often in primal groups because there's less sociality in the nature of BDSM. You have to have some degree of sociality or you'd be playing with yourself. All the jokes that go with that, but true. (laughs) And I mean... You're welcome to, you know, play with yourself, but that's a whole different thing. And that's your business not having anything to do with primal. Um, No, I agree. (laughs) But. (laughs) But what are um, the the only other I'm trying to think of, like, some of the lesser known. Some of the other lesser known power exchanges. Um, Well, it's it's specifically trying to isolate the ones that are not 
almost inherently just in the master slave camp. Yeah. Just it's because hard. like it's hard to do. Like doll makers and and uh dolls. Oh, yeah. Dolls um, are a great one. You know, as opposed to toy makers and toys, where toy makers and toys, as we've said on the topic when we got on it, are more often transactional than they are long term dedicated. But they don't automatically follow a master slave dynamic. But that's the closest comparative. Mm -hmm. Um, As opposed to the other side, which is, like we said, dolls and doll making. There needs to be a specification there because you have doll makers and dolls where it's specifically the doll fetish. As opposed to dolls like bimboism dolls, which are a very different Mm, thing. Yeah, bimbification. Yeah. Because those are not inherently a power exchange term, though you can find them overlapping. And it's worth mentioning as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, because dolls and doll makers, I can personally say I have no direct experience around. It's such a rare, rare uh, group that I've never personally encountered them. It's only what I've come across on reading. So I can't mm-hmm. speak to direct observation commentary of any kind really Um, i have go for it please (laughs) i i I have i've and and again as an outsider looking in um and i've attended some classes locally from people that identify with this fetish a lot um dolls and doll makers it's definitely interesting because it's it's power exchange but it's focused on behavior modification a lot of the other power exchanges aren't necessarily so focused on modification. And this is truly modification of how you look, modification of how you behave, your mannerisms. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that will combine hypnotism with doll making. Um, so anybody with a hypno kink, you, you kind of see some overlap with that. Um but it's it's really interesting. For a lot of people, it's not about making themselves into something completely different. It's enhancing kind of what they already are. And part of part of the appeal for a lot of the dolls that I've met is that in a truly submissive sense, you're turning yourself over to the doll maker to do what you want with me. Yes. And it's huge. And that's you know, and so hence the power exchange, right? It's inherently a power exchange. Oh, God, doll yes. making, doll making, I I would say is more about the actual um, behavior modification than it is so much the power exchange. Okay. I think the power exchange is is describing the trust involved in the behavior, but not the behavior itself. So, like with some of the other identities, the power exchange is the identity. I think with doll making, it's not as much the identity itself. Doll making is really about the behavior. So, and same with like bimbification and stuff like that, all of that um, stuff that falls under the objectification umbrella. Um, and if you talk about bimbo, you also have to talk about himbo. Yes. Um, and I happen to know two himbos actually. Um, I've heard Vixen the term, but I've never seen it in action yet. I'm, I'm intensely curious. Fun. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. So it's fucking fun. Um, I, I like himbos. <laughs> They're really great. Um, so himbo is the the more masculine side of bimbofication for those that don't know hence himbo um and these are typically male-bodied persons that 
want to be their most utmost slutty, perfect, you know, type self. And they want to be objectified. They want to be ogled. They want to. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. It's a terrible term, but it's the closest comparative that someone could sum it up with. No, they totally want to be arm candy. They want to be center stage. They want to be appreciated and doted over and idolized. So there is a lot of overlap with bimbo and himbo and dollification. I could see that. Um, Yeah. Especially when you're talking about the mindset of it. Right. (laughs) Um, And it's, and it's fun. And it's also, I would say one of the more extreme forms of exhibitionism that's That's still somewhat safe. Um, So yeah, so it's, (laughs) those are fun, but yeah, dolls, dolls are definitely, I would say unique because, and the, the other thing too, with dolls, we talk about dollification. I don't want to see that get confused with Lolita. Um, because Lolita is yes. more DDLG style. Lolita is very specifically in the CGL mm-hmm. camp that way. Yes, it, it is. There's but overlap, you will see but... there's an overlap. And so I I actually prefer instead of saying Lolita, when you describe how they're dressing, um, I tend to refer to it more as like a Harajuku. OK, um, yeah, I could see that. Mm-hmm. So and I say that because they're idolizing a lot of the like the anime look and so that's why i use the harajuku instead of saying lolita even though we all know within the realm of anime lolita is its own thing um but that's out of anime for that matter but but that but that's what i'm saying so i i tend to use the harajuku style because that's what you're idolizing is that that look that specifically came out of that part of japan that was derived from the anime girl and and you know the cat girl and stuff like that um because it's not a pet play it's it's not anything else no it's very much its own thing which Mm -hmm. just so i can answer the the question tiny pose because it's a legitimate question about you know the whole premise behind bimboism bimboification comes from the term bimbo like what Mm -hmm. we think of when we think bimbo the giant titted fake you know surgery blonde Absolutely to the nines, the whole, the ultimate stupid fantasy for, you know, heteronormative ideals, for lack of a better way to put it. Yeah. You know, that image, when you say bimbo, if you were raised Mm -hmm. in Western society, there's an auto image that hits your skull (laughs) automatically. Mm -hmm. And it may have different contexts depending on your particular preferences and all of that, obviously, because your idea of a bimbo and mine may not be the same, you know. Look at anime is a great example for that example, because you do have the the giant neon colored haired, you know, either schoolgirl with giant boobs or, you know, the giant sword slayer. And there's very little in between. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but for them, yeah. that's still a bimbo. And it's a very different one from the one we think of in Western culture. But it's yeah. the same premise. It's all comes to the same premise. It's obviously someone who is objectified sexually. And that's mm-hmm. obviously an extremely bare bones definition, but it's the one we all understand very simplistically. Well, and that's and that's why I call it, you know, the slutty fuck puppet idiot. Yeah. And that's no, absolutely. The the couple of guys that I interact with, like the one of them, I tell him that I was like, "You're not here to do anything but fucking look pretty, so shut up, sit down, because I don't care about anything that comes out of your mouth for the next two hours." And some of them want to. Hear you don't that. have thoughts, and he does. He's the type that does. <laughs> And so, and yeah, you can shut it off and on. Absolutely. Um, you know, <laughs> tiny one day, one day I was, <laughs> um, 
<laughs> that's so funny. But but yeah, so that's but yeah, himbo, bimbo, doll, th- those kind of all I think float in the same realm, even though they're different mentalities and they have different approaches. But I think I think the overlap is there for good reason. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's ironically that's something that we we didn't touch upon this episode. We did last one, but the bimbos and whatnot do have overlap with the cucks and the bulls. Mm-hmm. in that oh, regard yeah. because that feeds yeah. the same kind of interplay and it's worth noting that because it's not the automatic but you will find bimbos and cuck situations absolutely so you have the you know the heteronormative smoking hot wife getting banged by other dudes and it's because the dude in question loves that it's very much feeding his fantasies more so than even hers mm-hmm. and it's still his power exchange and it's this interesting interplay that way. And most people miss out on those nuances because yeah. you'd think mm-hmm. it was the female who had the power in that exchange. And yeah. sometimes they do. I'm not saying it's not part of that, too. It can play into it as well. It's just less common. And for, and for good reason, right? Because not right. everybody's equipped for that. Because it's a radical mind shift. And oh, so yeah. It's not... Not everybody's okay with that. Like, there's a lot of people that are like, no, I'm good with objectification. And then you start moving into this and they're like, oh, I'm not okay with that. And it's like, right, it's a different level, you know, you know, kind of why some people are fine with identifying as submissive and not as slave. You know, it's, there's, there's a lot of boundaries that you find out you have when you engage in it that you're like, oh, that's, that's not my kink. (laughs) I can appreciate it from across the room. Oh, yeah. And that's, and that's valid. Well, and it's. I think I think one of the things with all of these different labels too is pretty much for every type of emotion that you can have and you can label it, you can find some type of identity that's that's wrapped up in it. Because in kink, we have the amazing ability to isolate behaviors. And when I say kink specifically, because I'm not talking about paraphilias, I'm not talking about fetish. Fetish to me is very broad. But with when you're talking about power dynamics and power exchanges. Every type of emotion you have can, in and of itself, be its own power exchange. You know, it's it's a weird thing. Oh, yeah. And so, like, honestly, there's so many different words. Like, one of the words that got kicked out earlier was kindred. For me, growing up in vampire culture, being the little goth kid in the 80s and doing Vampire the Masquerade, shit like that, when I hear kindred, I have a very different perception of what kind of power dynamic that is. Oh, yeah. Um. But I also understand why in kink that would have a different connotation than even that. I think there's some overlap. Um, but, I mean, there truly is so many different things. And that's why when I hear terms that I'm not sure of, I always ask people, where did that come from for you? How do you define that? What does you that mean to, to you yourself? Yeah. And you learn a lot of cool shit. Honestly, you, you learn a lot of really cool shit. So, you, do. you know. I, I say that, I mean, it's kink is all about drilling down into your your core beliefs and your, your core, you know, interests and identifying those. And that's how you kind of figure out what your path is. And that's how you start figuring out where to go and navigate. And that's how you start deciding how to structure your power exchanges if you're going to get into one. Yeah. You know? And your power exchanges are going to look extremely different between people to people, you know. If you would have asked me 10 years ago if I was going to be running a leather house with a slave and all this other shit, I'd have been like, no, literally zero interest. <laughs> That's never going to happen. Yeah. That's, yeah. If you would have ever asked me, would I do, you know, pay for play and stuff like that? No, yeah. I would have said no, absolutely not. And, you know, here I am. 
<laughs> 15 years later and I'm like, fuck, you pay me. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's like a whole different – everybody goes through these distinct evolutions. Oh, yeah. And – oh, absolutely. Um, so, one of the things offered is kindred in their house yes. comes from a Nordic definition. Cultural things matter with some of these connotations. And, oh, yeah. And I will say part of my reason – and, and I think living in L.A. has helped with that because I'm not in such a weird white bread area. I know I'm around <laughs> diversity, so I can ask these questions. A.K.A. we I escaped asked, Florida. <laughs> for real, though. But it's, like, it's so true. What, the main thing, though, is I can ask people, what does that mean to you? And I am now getting to see what is a closed society versus what's not, what has been appropriated, yeah. what has not. And there's a lot of validity to why people get so upset when certain terms are used, especially out of context. And so... I would highly encourage anybody, if you hear a term that you're not familiar with, ask that person. And I ask you about that term. You know, in kink specifically, most people, especially when they're already self-aware that it's a, an outlier term, they're yep. going to be happy to explain it. Oh, yeah. Um, because they want to be, people want to be understood. Mm. All of us want to be understood. That's how we create community. That's how we bond. You know, do we get tired of explaining Sometimes, and that's when we get short-tempered. Um, like I recently had an exchange with someone because I've preached on this podcast about how I am not your Google and I should not be your substitute for Google. Yeah. But there's a difference <laughs> between you're refusing to Google something on your own to try to start that understanding process versus you're coming to me because you don't know what to Google. Exactly. I respect that. And so this person, when I told this person, I can walk you through that, they were like, no, I heard your podcast and I'm not treating you like Google. And I was like, okay, so here's what I meant by that. <laughs> like, and, I, and I'm willing to help you now because you fucking listened and you got it. <laughs> right. No, absolutely valid though. And it, No, but it was sweet, right? Because she was like, no, 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 let me try Googling it first. Don't tell me. And then she came back a couple of days later and she's like, okay, I'm stuck. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I and I had another situation like that last night. And it's like, you have to ask questions because nobody, here's the other side about educating yourself. Nobody owes you explanations. No. So if you're not going to invest in that person to ask them about their dynamic, you're not going to invest in that person and show that you're trying to actually understand them, they're not going to help you. It's not their job. Well, it's their dynamic. A great example was made actually by you in a much earlier episode about you know, hmm. someone who approached you and the simply commentary is, okay, so what do you know for yourself already? Yeah. It's such an easy question to Let's ask. And if mm -hmm. you don't have a good answer for that, that's different. But if you mm -hmm. come to me and you've clearly made an effort already to find something, you're trying. Yes. yes. It's effort. Effort is such a key element. Are you trying? Because if you're trying, you did something before you got to me or you wouldn't have felt the need to get to me. And I am all for that. I will do my best to help you out, even if it's pointing you to somebody else, because they'll have a better answer. Because that is the point, is the best answer I can get you. But you got to be showing some kind of effort. If you come Meet up me to me in an event and expect me to drop everything for you for education, mm. the answer is no. I, I don't owe you. You don't know me. Make an effort. An effort could be as simple as giving me an actual DM with some kind of, you know, decent answer. It could be that simple. It doesn't have to be somersaults. 
It just has to look like you're trying. It's amazing how simple that barrier is. Mm-hmm. And it's not even a high standard, in my opinion. I consider it a low one. I consider it a very low yeah. standard because it shouldn't require more than effort. Did you try? I'm not saying you had did to you bend try? over backwards and dig through three years of crap. I'm asking, did you try? And those are two very different things. And if you can show me that you tried, I am over the moon to do my best to help you out because I do want that for you. Absolutely. I want you to come back to me in 10 years and be as knowledgeable or better knowledgeable than I am. Mm -hmm. I would love that because then I get to learn something. And that's the point. Like I appreciate today. I've learned a couple of different terms just from being able to interact with, you know, my community. Right. That's fulfilling to me. Yeah. You know, I, that, that was my thing. Like when we, when we started this whole podcast idea, Never wanted it to be preaching. Never wanted it to be, hey, we're dictating you how our kink is. No, this was meant to be interactive. It was meant to be a mutual source of education and not just Dartex and I lecturing to everybody on how we think kink should go. (laughs) You know, do we get on rants about that? Sure. But, you know, this is why I like interacting with communal kink and not just doing kink at home in my own little vacuum. I want to know these things about other people. I want to know their motivations behind the fetishes that they have. It's fun. You know, I guess that's the sapiosexual in me, but no, you know, just being able to get to know people at that better level, that's rewarding. You know, and I've made some lifetime friends because of, because of it, which is just fucking amazing. You know, I like it. Well, absolutely. Like I've, you know, as we've said more than once at this point, and it's it's worth repeating because of the poignancy of it, it started with a pack of people on a single Discord server somewhere <laughs> who just happened yeah. to all find themselves in the same spot by accident at that point. Uh-huh. And they all had somewhere in excess of 10 years of real, actual, practical experience in the lifestyle out there in the wild. And we sat and we talked shop over coffee at three in the morning and two in the morning, and <laughs> nine in the morning or wherever. And sometimes for hours at a time, because yeah. you talk shop when you reach that level of experience. It's mm-hmm. not about the play. It's about the other things. It's the mentalities. Yeah. And that's not identical to everybody. I know dudes who are like 40 years in who just like beaten butts. And you know what? More power to that dude. He's having fun. They know what they're about. Yeah. That's it. It's pure. I'm down. but you get enough of us collectively together with real experience and ethics and the key there is ethics i think more than people understand it's so huge and so Mm -hmm. basic all at the same time Mm -hmm. because you put a pack of people together with ethical experience and they start realizing there's things they can do with it and it's not because they're abusing the power of what they know it's putting it to use, which is kind of the point of community. Yes. You know, I, know. I harp on solidarity and leather for a reason. And I understand mm-hmm. that not everybody's always going to feel the same comfort zone with it that I think I do. And I totally respect that, too. I would never want anyone to be forced into seeing it the way I do. Never in a million years. Sure. Sure. I don't want you to force yourself to my thinking. I just want you to see where I'm coming from and at least find a parallel. Because I think we'd all benefit. And they don't have to be identical. That's the beauty of it. Because we're all supposed to be intellectual, ethical human beings. 
And if anything in leather, the last thing it should be is homogenized. Fuck mm-hmm. no. Don't you dare. <laughs> Don't do that to me. <laughs> Don't try that shit with me. I'll break it up into a million pieces out of spite. Because it would remove part of what leather is. Mm-hmm. At least to me. Yeah. And I'd never want that integrity challenged. Not in a million years. Not for anything. For those that may feel left out because like we will, you know, I've said before, we have to do a Korean episode one day just because. So while it's mm-hmm. not mentioned directly separately from master slave relationships for the parallels, it's similar enough for the purposes of this episode because we're doing broad strokes. Um, you know, and only because Gurian is the most prominent of the other wares, as it were. Um, but as we've said a thousand times over, if you don't feel that we've mentioned something that you really want represented, you know, we're on the FETs, we're on the discords. I, you can get my email damn near from everything these days. Just look. Because <laughs> I have it plastered me, on everything so that I am accessible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's different, Tiny. <laughs> <laughs> If anybody has an opinion or a need or want something added or hasn't covered yet, I'm there. Get a hold of me. Mm-hmm. I listen Absolutely. for a reason. You know, we don't do these for us. While, yes, we benefit from it, too, for a variety of reasons. <laughs> it's because there's people out there who can't get it another way. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to show up at your house. Be like, fuck you, teach me. That's what I'm picturing right now. That'd yeah, I mean. Conversation. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, obviously listening to a podcast is a lot safer for folks than, especially if they're not out to their spouses or whatever, than doing, you know, internet searches and stuff like that. So, well, you know. Yeah. And as we've said in other parts of the world, where there's it. a risk to their life and limb even for them Absolutely. to be found. So if this mm-hmm. is doing them a service, fuck yeah. That's kind of the point. But we always like getting ideas, too. If there's something that, that people want to specifically have us dive into, whatever, let us know what those ideas are so that mm-hmm. we can prep for it. And we're game. Like, we're totally game to do that. You know, when I started way back in the day, you know, all of a year <laughs> and a half ago, it wasn't that long. God, it really wasn't. <laughs> it was. <laughs> you know, I thought I was going to have a list a mile long by now of every episode we're going to do in a row. But, you know, real life is real life. And as you progress, you realize you kind of have to priority shift based on where you are, where other people around you are. Our text kink is life. Stop it. Stop it. Yes. I know that. But not everybody lives it that way. (laughs) I happen to benefit from being able to do that. Not everybody has that option. everyone rode around on horses <laughs> i swear back in my day yeah <laughs> get off my lawn that's what i'm hearing get off my lawn <laughs> get off my venue anyway you want to go ahead and do the wrap up so that we can open yeah it up? i was about to okay that's what i was getting at you know i figured i could hear it wind. right i hear you it's okay i got the dust um <laughs> But yeah, um, for those that don't have, you know, if they feel they need to be represented or they're asking a question in general, my email's out there. Get a hold of me. Um, Most of you pretty much could do the same with Miss Knox, because if that is hard, then you're not trying. She's about as accessible as I am in that regard. Seriously. Mind me. 
And God knows her profile is much prettier to look at than mine. Just be respectful. Um, just because it's my boobs. That counts. Everybody likes boobs. It, it does count. I know plenty I, of gay I don't people disagree. that like boobs. I mean, come on. You know, I get felt up more by gay men than I do any other See? It's because it's something they have no reason to play with in their daily lives. You get a lot of drinks that way. They're like, oh, those are real. Can I feel those? <laughs> oh, I bet. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I used to get free drinks all the time going to the gay bars in South Florida because I'd bring along a friend who was well endowed. <laughs> Just think they have better music. Oh, God, that's yes. Yes. No argument there. Moving mm-hmm. on. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's not just me. Um, nope. But no, for anybody out there, I, you know, get a hold of us, whatever you need to do. You know, no, no question is really that dumb. Even mm-hmm. if you think it is, you know, as long as it's an actual question that's worthy of mention, not, you know, does my ass smell? Don't expect a pleasant answer. My thing is this, you're going to, you may feel like it's a dumb question, but the reality is we would rather you ask us and get real honest answers than find some weird rabbit hole on Reddit and get some bad advice that ends up getting you hurt. Um, I mean, that's my whole impetus for this. So I would rather you ask people that actually practice this kind of stuff, engage in this kind of stuff, and let us help you through that so you get solid advice and not shit that's going to get you hurt or killed. Well, that's it. And that is really the bottom line. You know, we started Mm -hmm. with the premise of what's out there for, you know, if you're looking up DDLG or just dominance and subs in basic, you can get a good bit of information these days, even over a couple Mm of years ago. But a lot of it's still terribly misinformed. Or it doesn't lead to good sources. The whole a lot point of it's is just rooted in porn. Sources. Right. And that's, that's the thing. That so doesn't help. Being able to talk to people that actually do the shit helps get you away from some of that and lets you see. Yep. You know, and, and lets you form interactions that are healthy and positive and potentially more fulfilling I would than hope, if you yeah. bumble fuck on stuff on your own. Well, especially because it, if it gives you even a sporting chance of dodging the harem groups, the the auction <laughs> groups and the, you know, and I'm not yeah. saying there aren't versions of those that are healthy because those exist. But anybody who knows what I'm talking about knows I'm not talking about the healthy ones. <laughs> <laughs> and there's way more of those. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. So if this reaches someone's ears who got to dodge all of that or able to even have a journey because of that. That's why we're doing it. Mission success. Uh, more than anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, not even you're welcome. It's thank you because that's why I did it. So yeah. knowing it reached one of those people is the whole point for me. Reach. <laughs> All right. Anything else to add? No, I'm good. All right. Thank you all for coming. Thank all the listeners for putting up with us today. Um, Thank you for everybody who's going to listen once we post this live. And have a wonderful rest of y'all's day. Hey.